0: Hello, this is Paul Bainsfair, and this is the IPA podcast. This week I'm talking to Orlando Wood of System One Group. Orlando has just written an excellent book which we at the IPA have published, and it's called Lemon How the Advertising Brain Turned Sour. And I'm talking to Orlando about what inspired him to write the book and also to talk a little bit more in detail about some of the findings that he has. Been able to share with us. Uh, We kick off by talking about exactly why it's called Lemon. Okay, so here I am with Orlando. Um, We're also very excited about your book. I mean, we the IPA, you know, we 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 put our name on quite a lot of learned documents (laughs) or papers, and there's been a tremendous amount of interest in Lemon. So It's great that you're here to talk about it. I I, I think the first thing to say is,
1: why is it called Lemon? Why is it called Lemon? Well, uh, thereby hangs a tale. Uh, It's called Lemon because, um, well, it references, of course, the famous 1960s, uh, well, 1960 DDB Beetle ad. And as we'll come on to it, I'll come on to explain, perhaps, I wanted to reference something in culture. On the front page, mm. uh, because that's very important, very important in advertising, as I show in the book, and uh, that that was important to me, and also very memorable. Um, it came about because I ke- I went to talk to Adrian Holmes. Oh yes, Adrian Holmes. Yes, I know Adrian. I've worked with Adrian. Yeah, yes, so you know, chairman of Lowe and at one time and president of d and uh, I wanted to t- I talked to him about the book and what was in it, and I said to Adrian. Uh, and John O'Driscoll was was with him too. So John O'Driscoll did the um, the, the ads in the, in the VW ads, the print ads in the UK in the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we were chatting about the book and what was in it, and um, I said, Adrian, any ideas on a title? Um, and he sort of... It was over lunch, and, and great, great creative ideas often happen over lunch, I think, in, yes. in conversation and discussion. Yes, I, mean, I, I think that's one of the great sadnesses of uh, yes. the modern yes. advertising world, the lunch, the, the advertising lunch lunch has Yes, has almost a, disappeared. It's very important, it's yeah. a right brain moment. We'll yeah. come on to talk about this in a minute. But anyway, um, so I was chatting, I said, Adrian, is there, you know, have you got any ideas? And so he thought, and, and Adrian uh, is just brilliant, and he... Um, you know, he was sitting there over lunch, I can see him now. And he said, hmm, the brain. It's a bit like a lemon, isn't it? And then, and then he said, how the advertising brain went sour. And then uh, two minutes later, he said, no, 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 no not went. Turned it has to be turned. Yes, a very as precise. A would turn. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very, very precise. Yes, very, yeah. um, and then you know, it just sort of came from that, and then and then he sort of we talked about the cover and what it would be, and then then he wrote this lovely uh, front page, you know, mm. the copy on the front page, yes. and we went back and forth a bit. But but you know, it's just a lovely a lovely. Well, it is, and, and I think if there are anything. any, if if if
0: there is a listener out there who isn't familiar with the great DDB work from New York in the 60s, which was, I suppose, best sort of demonstrated by the VW campaign. Yes. They yes. ought to get out there yeah, absolutely. and have a look at Fantastic. that. Um And I think the, um, it, you know, the, the thing I do want to say is this is not, this is not a, um, this by, by which I mean the book, this is not a kind of attempt to just look at the golden age of advertising, is it? It's mm-hmm. not, we're not here saying, well, it used to be great, and now it's not. No, no, no. You're doing much more than that, I think.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. It's it's um, it is is taking lessons from what's happened in the past, and not just in advertising as well. I mean, the whole book is you know it's looks at, at culture over. Yes, 2, I, I, years. I, want to, I want to come <laughs> on to that. Yes, um, but it but it looks at the way that um, certain ways of attending to the world leave inevitable traces in culture and in advertising. So certain modes of attention, if you like. And how, at certain times, they lead to uh, a flattening, uh, a, a sort of homogenisation, a, a devitalisation, an abstraction in culture and, in, and, and today right. in advertising. So, okay, so we're going we're gonna to really get into that yeah. in a second. But
0: um, how, did the, how did the
1: idea strike you that you needed to write this book and well, that it was something worth investigating? A, a number of things, actually. Uh, you know, some of them very personal, some of them uh, less so. But um, my so, so over the last few years, I have been looking, as you know, about at fluent devices in advertising. So characters or situations, scenarios like should have gone to spec you know, that are repeated again and again and again yes. across a campaign, but mixed up in different ways. And I, I showed with the IPA's database that these characters have been disappearing over the last... 20 years or so, I mean, particularly in the last 15, and I couldn't really explain it, what's going on, you know. Uh, at the same time, I've been feeling for a long time a kind of tightening in, in society and in culture, a kind of brittleness that was emerging, um, and a sort of literalness that was starting to take hold in, in public discourse and, and loss of ambiguity. And I um, uh, you know, at the same time, I, 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 I sort of—I um, very sadly lost my father last year. Was, who was—who was it? Now I see him. You know, is a very right-brained person. You know. He was, uh, he, he, you know, he was—he you know—he just the way he interacted with the world. And, and, you know, a m- number of other sort of relationships in my life where I could sort of see, well, why do these people pay t- attention to the world in very different ways, you know? What, what it, why is it that this interests these people and this doesn't? Anyway, I came across the work of Ian McGilchrist because Rory Sutherland uh, d- did a, a viewing of the great, the fantastic film that accompanies the book, the original book, The Master and His Emissary. Yeah, um, should we just pause it yeah. and say again to anyone who's...
0: Who is, becomes more interested in this topic as we go through the chat? That is that is a book
1: worth looking it at, is a and, and the attendant film as you, yes, as you mentioned. Yes, absolutely, the divided brain that goes with it. Um, the it just the scales fall from your eyes when you read it. It was revelation after revelation in, in the book about about people and how and how we how we attend to the world. And so I I came across this work and suddenly just you know. Seeing all of these things, you know, I kind of I was the only person, I think, who could probably put all these things together and sort of come up with a a theory, an idea that, well, my goodness, you know, if these if the way that we attend to the world uh, does change over different periods in history, uh, then it's certainly something like that is happening today. And so I thought, well, what if we could show this, or or at least test the hypothesis by doing a historical analysis over the last, you know, thirty years in advertising, and look for these sorts of um, traces, you know, of, of mm. left brain thinking. Well, yes. Yeah, so let
0: so let's just sort of zoom in on that. Yes. Because um, I I was f- for one de- delighted by the um, the way in which you draw. Uh, draw out or tease out from the various periods in, let's say, art history, mm-hmm. you know, the way in which either the right or the left yes. brain yes. becomes more dominant in yes. culture. So yes. do you, can you do a little whistle-stop tour yes, through I, that I, for I should, us? Well, well, perhaps,
1: I, perhaps I should start by explaining about, a bit about the left and the right brain. Yes, okay, if that we haven't might, done that. Yes, of course. Yes, so, so the, le- the And then let's definitely do that. So... so um, what McGilchrist says, you know, that the left and right brain have been popular ideas, uh, you know, since the 1960s. And this, this sort of pop psychology narrative has entered public mm. discourse and and actually it's hindered the serious study of brain lateralization by neuroscientists over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. There's a sort of stigma attached mm. to it. Uh, so, you know... Well, you uh, mean it's oversimplified. It, yes, it's it oversimplified is. and, you know, people don't really want to have anything to do with it. Um, But, thankfully, some people have been looking at it, and Ian McGilchrist is one of them. And what he shows in people, in birds, even worms and insects, these studies have been incredible, that, that there are differences between the two hemispheres. It's not so much a difference in what they do, it's more that they do things differently. You know, they have different takes on the world, different priorities. And he shows it's worth just talking about birds for a minute because it helps to demonstrate the principle. So a bird's left brain, which controls its right eye and right side of the body, you know, will seek in a very narrow and goal-focused way the, the grains of food on the ground and, and isolate them from their context, so abstract them and then identify and categorise them, and I know I can eat this type thing. Whereas the right brain is is broad and vigilant in its attention, and looking around it all the time, making sure that it doesn't become someone else's prey. So the right brain is broad and vigilant, the left brain is narrow, goal-focused, and abstracts things from their context, represents them, um, loves to think in terms of linear cause and effect, Uh, It can't deal with ambiguity at all. It likes things to be clear and explicit and, you know, a bright light shone on everything. Um, It can't deal uh, with with time, so it breaks things up into sort of mini sort of snapshots, if you like. And it it can't deal with flow, so it's a very fixed thing. So it likes, you know, models that represent the world and that are unchanging. So it's a bit dogmatic. Mm. And it uh, it is also has an unsa- unfounded, often sense of optimism <laughs> about the world, um, and it and it deals it can't understand music, so it sort of deals in very basic rhythm, but not much else. Now, if I'm starting to describe today's advertising, then you know uh, it, it, there there is a reason for that. So and then there's the right brain, which is broad and vigilant, and it and it um, understands the world uh, as it is. Um, in in context, you know, sees the whole and it understands the world as a set of relationships and connections between you know between things, mm. and it, it can because it's open to novelty, it's open to contradiction, and it's open to metaphor and it's open to humor uh, because because it can see things the same thing you know from two different perspectives, and it and it also deals with our sense of lived time and depth, so it gives us our sense of depth mm-hmm. and. Uh, that's important because it links to empathy as well. And and if you look at a painting and you can see perspective in it, then you're looking at it from someone's point of view. So there is a, this sort of in- connection between empathy and, and depth in a way that a sort of god's eye view of a painting, you know, where it's all flat. Um, there's no empathy there at, at all. So so um, music. Uh, harmony is the equivalent of of visual depth. You know this sort of layering of things that la- ladder, layer up to, to to create a whole. So these these are the sorts of things I talk about in the yes. book. And so over uh, what McGilchrist says is that um, the left brain has uh, via the corpus callosum, which is the thing that bridges the two brains. It has a uh, the corpus callosum bridges, but it also inhibits one brain or other at any given time. And the left brain has a greater suppressive effect on the right than the right does on right. the left. And over history, we've becoming gradually more and more. You know, I mean, the left brain does brilliant things, by the way. I shouldn't, it manipulates the world through tools and through language. Mm. Um, but um, but it it, it 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 often gets caught up in its own hall of mirrors, its own model of the world and we need the right brain. We need both brains for great creative leaps, in mm. fact. We need range and, and specialism, you know. So um, the left brain, over certain times in history, tends to take control, and it gets a bit carried away with itself, and ideas about the thing become more important than mm. the thing itself. And so you see this in, in, late, uh, in the late Roman period, and third century AD, when, in fact, Emperor Diocletian came to power. It was a torrid time, you know, tumultuous. Been, the empire was being attacked from all angles. Um, the, the Emperors were being usurped and replaced. And, uh, and so Emperor Diocletian, assumed uh, divine sovereignty and without the approval of the Senate, and he set about creating a kind of symmetrical power base. So an emperor in the east, an emperor in the west, with a Caesar by each of their sides. And he regimented society... And he categorised people and fixed them in their roles. They literally couldn't change profession, although you know mm. they'd be executed um, because people were closing down their businesses because he was fixing prices and perhaps the world's ever first ever rate card you right. know across right. the whole of the continent. Um, and he so society, which had been free flowing and had a sense of you know sort of organic, you know sort of it was a natural thing, um, suddenly became very almost militaristic, regimented. And the effect in art, in architecture, in sculpture was just dramatic in this period. And you go from beautiful kind of busts of people, as one in the book of Decius, you know, caught in a moment where he's just sort of looking upwards. Yes, I remember that one, yeah. Depth and and, and, and the tunic and and the face and everything, um, towards really flat, expressionless busts. You go from naturalistic, just likenesses rather than, that were like like yeah. death masks, actually, yes, yes, yes. You know, yes. devitalized, um, and more symmetrical. So, so street patterns become more symmetrical. Much like today, the, um, the you know when you look at, at uh, architecture of the period, you get large expanses of plain walls, and the emphasis is on the interior of the building rather than the exterior. Mm. Light coming in through the through you know through the the windows and so on. So um this period in, in art in sculpture, you see you see rather than sort of organic compositions of people sort of standing together touching each other, this sense of betweenness which is so important um, for the right brain, you get sort of regimented, unified, and almost sort of um, I guess, sort of replications of the saints, you know, sort of standing next to each other with no sense of betweenness at all. And lots of symbols start to emerge in these, these periods. Symbols and signs, like language, are things of the left brain. And language starts to intrude. Mm. And letters and that sort of thing. And rather than depicting people uh, inter- interacting with each other, playing with each other, you know, talking to each other with depth, and I guess there was depth, there was perspective in Roman art, very good perspective. You go to very flat, uh, unilateral kind of communication me at you mm. um, uh, in pictures of Christ and, and with symbols and signs and so on so so there is this an this incredible shift that comes with centralisation, standardisation and specialisation um, which has all hit our industry over the last 20 yeah. years well this
0: this is bringing mm. it up to date fascinating because it, I think we won't go into it now we haven't got time but in your sort of trawl through history you show how things go towards the left and then to the, yes. to the right and then yes. back again so what has what do you think has caused us if we accept your sort of yes. hypothesis and I think I do what's caused us to be in this sort of slightly more left brain existence it's, a, it's
1: the perfect storm of you know lots of things there is I mean uh, it would uh, as I you know you can't attribute one, it to one thing um, in chapter 4 I talk quite a lot about the various things that have happened in this period. One is, um, I think, uh, procurement, of course, have put enormous pressures on, on ad agencies and have literally broken up the task into smaller parts, which is what the left brain likes to do. Mm. Uh, so, you know, uh, there's, this, there's this task that needs doing by this person, there's this resource required, you know, and, and it's breaking things up into smaller parts. Time pressure has in, increased, you know, incredible time pressure now to create uh, work, and um you know of course, you know, sort of, I think the holding companies too have put enormous pressure on agencies uh, and specialization has been introduced in this period, just as it was by diocletian, mm. uh, and so you you end up with um you know individual agencies with quite specialists rather than sort of people with a broad range and range is so important for creativity because you you draw on things from all sorts of different perspectives and angles and Mm. things from different points of view also uh, digitization of course uh, well, that's uh, the yeah huge a huge probably the the biggest catalyst mm -hmm. you know of this and um you you but i mean i think just jumping in there that
0: to my mind um, it's the hyper targeting aspect of mm-hmm. digital advertising that sort of forces you down a more logical, Appeal yes. in your after because it's you more know transactional or literal. Yes, because you know I am talking to the person yes. who has displayed yes. all the signs of yes. wanting to be in the yes. market for my product. So I'll just give him yes. the facts. You yes. know, rather than have to seduce yes. him or her with yes. the with yes. the advertising.
1: And w- whether it's a uh, a cause or a symptom, I, d- I don't know. But yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's that that is it's a very literal way of thinking, uh, and very cause and effect, very linear. You know, um, and. There's, there's sort of no no ambiguity left you know anymore sense of proportion. So so what you see is this is this so digitization also in fact of course digital platforms recommend literally prescribe these left brain features of rhythm and abstraction and breaking things up into smaller screens that sort of thing. And when people start designing for or creating for um, mobile first or digital first and then put that stuff on television you know then it's, that's just not how television works. Um, so, so there, there's that, and, and I think also just there has been a sort of gradual loss of empathy, an empathy gap has emerged between people working in media and, and advertising and the general public. Um, and there's some work, you know, I quote in the book um, by Tenzer and Murray on this, you know, this sort of empathy gap and this desire as a great, there's a great, lovely example from, from their work where they're actually talking to media agencies And they they ask people to do a classic kind of Kahneman experiment where they they show people the monkey, a panda and a banana. And they say, uh, which of these two things goes with the monkey? And people in media agencies will put the panda with the monkey because, of course, they're categorising them as mammals in a very left-brain way, right. um, whereas the general public, of course, will put the banana with the monkey because they're more holistic and associative well, in it, their yeah. thinking. So, so, you know, if that's sort of going on in our in our industry, we've become too analytical, very analytical, and everything has to have a sort of supporting, supporting data point. You know? so, so getting to the,
0: the nub of it now, because it, some people might argue... Some advertisers might argue, well, we quite like this world. We quite like this world where we don't have to have these allegorical stories Mm. and and sort of big production numbers and, you know, kind of impress people with our wizardry. We can just tell them the facts. We Mm. quite like that. So Mm. why do we think, why do you think, Mm. time has come to maybe reset the dial on all this and we've gone too far or it's not working as
1: well as it could? Because it results in work that is not noticeable and not memorable. And uh, that is it just is not effective. So one of the things, you know, if this were just a question of taste, and you could say that these swings in, in in you know art history or whatever else were just a question of taste, and in many ways they are. But actually, when it comes to advertising, the work that is produced, if it is more left-brained, and I should give evidence of this in the book, you know that, that it is today that more you know more literal, more abstract, more, more devitalized, all those things, um, more rhythmic. These are things that do not move people. So if you, if you, com- if you overlay this, these features, as I do, on I- emotional response, and in the book, by the way, I, I make, a, a I think, a fairly strong case for uh, the relationship between emotional response and market share gain and how you can adjust excess share of voice you know, to, to give you a good prediction of market mm-hmm. share in the subsequent period... These features are inversely correlated with emotional response, whereas the right brain features are, or, you know, are, are, are the things that move people and, mm. and things that get people to remember, sir, and that will make your brand more salient and make other brands less salient in the process. So this it's really important that we don't forget some of these right-brained things.
0: Yes, and indeed, in other work that um, I think Peter Field mm. in particular has done. He's highlighted the fact that, whereas in the past, creatively awarded campaigns tended to be amongst the most effective, um, there are so few now that are what we might call high-level creative campaigns yes. that, yeah. that that linkage is being is being broken. Yeah, it is, it is. Um, and it's very concerning, it
1: obviously, is. for the reasons that, it's extremely concerning. that you've the, given. if the best of the best are not are not delivering, you know, on, on market share gain. I mean, there is, it's not to overplay it to say that there is a bit of a crisis. So. Uh, so what can we do about it? What can <laughs> I mean, we do that? It, it? a... Well, the book—the book, the book is—you know—it offers a diagnosis, but it also, I think, uh, offers a cure, uh, and it shows. Uh there's various uh, ways in which well, it explains what drives emotional response in advertising, and it's not meant to be a, a checklist of things. Heaven forbid, you know. It's it's supposed to. If we could sort of just internalize that these sorts of things are important, then I think it would lead to better work. So the things that, that you know that really that people care about, that people pay attention to, and let me just pause for a minute because it's an important point to make. There are five types of attention that the that psychologists generally agree on. Uh, four of these are dealt with by the right brain, almost exclusively. Only one of them, very focused and narrow attention, is dealt with by the left brain. So if you're trying to get your work noticed, if you're trying to uh, you know, appeal to people on any kind of emotional level, it is better to create work that will attract the attention of the right brain, which is, after all, interested in novelty, ambiguity, contradiction, metaphor, humour, all of those things. So work that has those features will tend to drive a better emotional response, get noticed and be remembered. So, so what the book talks about is you know, important things that have been lost from advertising are a, a sense of betweenness, of showing characters together, interacting with each other, implicit expressions, gestures winks, uh, you know, uh, touching, uh, all of these things that have disappeared from the world uh, and in advertising, these implicit glances, anything that doesn't involve words, basically, mm. the right brain understands instantly and, and, know, and knows how to read a situation. Uh, so, so that's important. Dialogue has gone as well, in that way, and, but is also important. Um, a sense of place is so important and time that we know that this is, this is meant to be somewhere. It's so much advertising today, because of globalization, one of the other things that's caused this problem, uh, is set in a nondescript city, town. Play, you know, it could be anywhere, and it is therefore nowhere and of no interest to our right brains. Uh, it is uh, you, don't, you often these days don't get any sense of a scene unfolding in advertising. Uh, it's a series of quick, you know, successive. Mm cuts if you like that could almost be played to you in any way. driven by
0: what some people call the short attention yes that's true digital Well that's the left brain yeah the left brain is impulsive
1: you know but also it 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 means that you you can cut this sort of 30 second add up into into multiple different time lengths and put it anywhere you know so it's all about Giving putting the focus on productivity and efficiency rather than work that will actually create an emotional response. So so that um, scene unfolding something that's disappeared and something that we should we should try and bring back. Um, a sense of place is important, as I said. Uh, things that are set in the past, you know, the left brain can't deal with time, live time, um, and. Things just, you know, that sort of thing has disappeared. Things in costumes. Of course, all the things I'm saying cost money. Mm. All of these things, time, you know, sense of place, costumes, people talking to each other, acting. I suppose it, we've gone from kind of dramas to lectures. And, uh, you know, we've got to get back to kind of dramas I mu- I again. Get- must,
0: I must interrupt you there because I don't know if you've ever seen the very first, I'm sure you have, The very first TV ad that ran in the UK in the 1950s was for, I think it was for Gibb's SR Toothpaste. And it was, uh, visually it was interesting, it was a running stream and and the the toothpaste was in a sort of ice cube.
1: But the, the voiceover was a lecture. Yes. It was literally a lecture on yes. how the thing worked, well, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's funny you should mention Well, it's that. funny because I think advertising was like that in the 50s to a certain extent. It was, it was, it was. It was you know, very much be at you and, uh, you know, sort of unilateral communication. Uh, but we learnt in the, in the 60s, gradually, you know, in the 70s, um, that that that's not the best way to do it. You know, show people doing things, interacting with each other, Having a bit of a laugh, uh, dare I say it? You know that that is what attracts the right brain's attention and makes things memorable. Yes, I mean I think look, you're preaching to the converted in, <laughs>
0: in my case, and I'm sure many others. Um, but I think what what makes it hard to to get back to this more fertile area of advertising, to my mind mm-hmm. anyway, is that. Uh, the world has become rather more serious. Yes. Uh, certainly business. It's become more left brain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the, and the, the people that run businesses speak the language of finance, which is the ultimate sort of left brain language. Uh, and therefore, they are distrusting of some of the things that we know are important in advertising because they're, although we know they work, it's very hard to be precise about how they work. And it's very easy to be precise about much more, mm. you know, if you like, logical, literal Yes, literal exactly. And yeah. That's that's
1: one of the problems, um, uh, it, and also I think you know that, that if if. Um and also more, they're more short-termists as well, looking at quarter by quarter, you know, how things are performing. Yes, yes, very so, much so. So, um, but there is a real monetary value associated with this, associated with characters. I, I presented on it last year at F-Week on, on the, the importance of characters and how this re- translates into, you know, a, they have a real media value, <laughs> these things, um, and, and a return that, that, you know, we're just losing. Yes, because if you, I mean,
0: we're talking as if everything is is uh, is no longer. Yes, of course uh, there
1: are there are pockets of brilliance. Yeah, exactly, and you well. if you talk, I
0: mean like a very celebrated case been going for years now is that you know the Meerkats
1: characters, course, yeah, which is yeah. which is I think yeah. the, the absolute ultimate in, totally. in right brain. it has got all the things, exactly. I like, you know, accents, sense of place, characters, betweenness, you know. And, and look, and look how
0: it's and look how well it's yeah, performed. Of course, of course, you would think that would be an exemplar yeah. for
1: more more companies to look at well, that. And actually, we you might be interested. in your listeners might be interested in this that we we have uh, tested a number of old ads recently so you know the 1973 hovis on a bike ad which has all of the right almost all of the right brain features I talk about sense of place you know music um the scene unfolding uh, the, the towels the boy's hair the sense of betweenness at the end um it it, it you know it's has it's in the top one percent of all ads ad today you know sort of um it, you know so five star in our language and um it not only that but we've tested the honey monster original honey monster ad the original um, uh, a Smash Martians ad, and we've and we've tested the Heineken water in New York ad that I talk about in the book. They're all you know in the top two percent of people ads that we made. People today love them people people as much as their day. parents did. Exactly, they? Yeah. and and this this sort of popular. I hate to use the word populist because it sort of sounds demeaning in some way. But this right-brained work. Um, People are crying out for yes. it because it's not there on television actually. Television programming, I talk about in the book how we've lost sketch shows and sitcoms. You know, the most popular Netflix genre is romantic comedy and friends, you know, and, and, and rom coms have disappeared. All of these sort of things that celebrate betweenness, character, humor, you know, are, are disappearing from our screens. So there's an open, there's goal. An open goal. an open goal for wanting to do this, you know, yeah. because everything else looks so similar. And, and
0: also, I think we are. Um, sometimes guilty of not realizing how quickly time's passing. I'll give you a very good example. I went to speak to some school children about mm-hmm. advertising as a possible career, mm-hmm. and I was casting my mind around thinking, Well, what ads what could I show them to get them on side? I thought, Oh, I know. I'll show them the Cadbury's Gorilla you know, the famous <laughs> yes. drumming. And these 14 year olds yeah. sat there, they, yeah, they, they loved the it. Over the, over and over the, over and over. I said, Phew. You know, you'll all know this ad. Mm-hmm. None of them, you no. know. Because it has been—I mean, when it was last I know they were three or four years yes, old. Exactly. So you know, we—I know I'm guilty of this. You sort of well, you know, we did the caviar; that was good, and we, but it was quite a while ago. Yes, and yes. there aren't as many examples well, today. I, as I there, think that be? you're
1: you're right, uh, and and we know that most, that you know, majority of all ads uh, would only get one star in our emotional response, you know, sort of measure, and uh, it, you know. It, this is, this is a problem. And, and so a so lot of people say, oh, you're just looking at things through rose-tinted spectacles. Um, but that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this historical analysis, a very objective analysis, was to show that things have changed and there has been a marked shift in advertising style. And by the way, one of the things that the left brain tends to do is to dismiss things to do with the past. Um, because it has no appreciation of lived live time. Whereas the right brain understands its time and place in the world and has a sense of awareness and, and actually enjoys looking back at earlier periods. I talk about this in the book about you know, the Romantic period. And um, thinks we can learn from things that have happened in the past. And why wouldn't we? Absolutely. In
0: fact, I don't know if I'm stretching the point you're making, but hasn't there recently, recently been an attempt... To actually pour more cold water on the right-left brain thing, I think it was something yes. on the BBC. Yes. It's almost like yes, the left brain—the left yes, brain the is left trying brain, to destroy the
1: theory. for the divided brain film. Uh, there's a lovely post, a poster that they use. You know, the the film. One half of your brain doesn't want you to see. That's it, you know? That's exactly it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, look, um, we've been talking talking for half an hour, and I tried to keep these fairly short and punchy. So, thanks again for for chatting to pleasure. us. Thanks for writing the book. Um, I'm sure that um, anyone listening to this will want to read more. And of course, the lad is you can you can get it from the IPA. So,
1: so <laughs> well, I Lado. hope you enjoy it and thanks for publishing it. It's been a pleasure. Coming yeah, to thanks very to much. It. Thank
0: you. Well, that was Orlando Wood with some fascinating insights into his new book, Lemon. And if you would like to get hold of a copy of the book, uh please go onto the IPA website and you'll find details there of how to do just that. This is Paul Baines Fair and this has been the IPA podcast.